0: This
1: is Germ Warfare, the Battle of Ideas My name is Germ, this is Germ Warfare, the Battle of Ideas Ian Davis, thank you for joining me in The Trenches
0: Uh, It's my pleasure to be here Jeremy, thanks for inviting me
1: I say The Trenches uh, because it feels like we're in a war, do you agree?
0: Yeah, this is this is a war. Yeah, this is this is the third world war. This is it's the war for ideas. It's 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 fundamental. Yeah, yeah.
1: Do you think this is in a in a way deadlier than previous wars?
0: Um, I think ultimately we're talking about you know we are talking about if you look at the transhumanist element of it, which is you know something that Klaus Schwab has spoken about at great length in the Fourth Industrial Revolution and elsewhere. Um, that does seem to be the objective so we're so we are talking of the ultimate objective i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't certainly wouldn't say it's a short-term objective but um yeah we're talking about the extinction of the human race i mean that that is certainly on the table i mean that that is that's what transhumanism is i I would you know whether the uh our, our um would be rulers uh, would consider, you know, they would mm-hmm. want to keep some parts of humanity for themselves, perhaps. But I mean, when, in, in terms of the of the the vast bulk of the human population, they're looking to transform it, look quite literally. So, yeah, the, it's a battle for survival of our of everything. Like, it's a battle of survival for our for our way of life, our cultures, our uh, you know, the the political and, and uh, socio economic systems that we that we value on you know everything Um, so yeah this is it this is this is an existential fight no doubt about that
1: before you break apart the talking points that we're going to discuss what is the big picture here
0: I mean ultimately it is seizing control of everything so seizing control of all resources seizing control of all economic activity, seizing control of the population in terms of our behavior and in terms of, of what we are allowed or permitted to do, um, and moving towards a, a system, I would say, of, you know, we, there's going to be a, a kind of schism in, in humanity um, with, a, with a class of people who are Privileged and, a, and an underclass, and everybody else will be part of an underclass. I mean, that's that's ultimately where this is heading.
1: And this global elite would be referred to as the global public private partnership, the the GPP.
0: Yeah, I think the the, the global public private partnership um, is something that explains how it's, it's the flow of policy around the world. It's how how policy. Uh, originates. It's a, it's a concept that comes from the World Health Organization originally. They were talking in terms of global public-private partnerships. Um, and it, it goes all the way back to the idea of, I don't know whether you're perhaps not familiar of it in South Africa, but that Tony Blair, our, our former Prime Minister, he had an idea called The Third Way, um, and Bill Clinton as well. In fact, The Third Way was popular all across Europe as well. We got Art uh, Schroeder and people like that were promoting that. That's based on the idea of communitarianism, which comes from people like um, um, Amartya Etzioni and people like that. The stakeholder capitalism model of global governance. So, the, the, and and the GPP, the, the global public private partnership, is kind of, if you like, the operating system for stakeholder capitalism. So.
1: So what yeah, are those sorry. no 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 so like I want to understand this now so what is the the GPPP and <laughs> it sounds funny yeah, um, the the G triple P and stakeholder capitalism what are those two things
0: well stakeholder capitalism is an idea that uh, originated in, in with Klaus Schwab in the 1970s Klaus Schwab and the, and the think tanks um you know so Klaus Schwab was was quite uh, closely associated with the club of Rome and as were the World Economic Forum. So the, the, these policy think tanks that I would put at the near the top of the global, what I've called the Global Public-Private Partnership, but that is also, it's, it's not me calling it that, that's, that's how it's been referenced in, you know, documents from the World Health Organization, from the United Nations and so on. Um, yeah, so, so stakeholder capitalism was originally promoted the idea was that it was a more responsive a more caring type of capitalism that the that global corporations um recognized that you know their their responsibility and their their complicity in creating some of the problems that we now face um on a glo- on a global scale um and, and they sold it the idea was that um, that the corporate governance would be formed by a network of stakeholders that have, that they would be uh, have, a, have an ongoing conversation with with uh, non governmental organisations, the government, and something called civil society, which would be created, which would represent our interests, and there would be this ongoing conversation about about how um, global corporations managed. Resources and global operations and so forth. That was how it was presented. That was that was how it was spoken about by Klaus Schwab and others in the nineteen seventies. And and then basically that that's that's that was the idea of it. However, (laughs) you know that was that was the sales pitch. What it what it actually has transpired. What it's turned out to be. Is a way to insert for global corporations, uh, all global, even you know the banks, and I would I would include maybe the Bank of International Settlements and in in that as well, to insert themselves into policy making. But more more to the point, at, at the government level, which I would put some way down, I I would refer to government within the global public private partnership purely as policy enforcers at, the, at, at that level they want to be able to control markets so the idea is that the government hoover up our taxation hoover up money from the from the public they're openly spoken about government creating what they call the enabling environment so so uh, when they first started talking about global public-private partnerships back in, in sort of the late 90s I mean, the idea goes back to the 70s, but they really started talking about it in earnest at the turn of the century. So around 2005 onwards and 2000 onwards, um, what they were talking about was governments creating an enabling environment. So this is an investment environment to, to enable the creation of markets. So any we look at something like Gavi, the, the Global Vaccine Alliance, they openly state in their documentation that their purpose, their what their primary purpose is to create markets for, in this case, vaccines. But it's 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 the creation of markets which are then because through the through the mechanisms of stakeholder capitalism, where the corporations are in constant dialogue with the policy the the people that we think are policymakers. Although I would argue that they're not they're not policymakers. Um, they're able to involve be involved in the regulation of those markets so they they create the market we pay for it basically you know we we pay tax to create the market for them and then they are in partnership with governments to regulate their own markets so so they they can basically have control of the market that they that they're profiting from
1: okay so let me let me see if I'm if I'm following. The global public private partnership is essentially then just a fancy name for governments and massive corporations to work together for pretty much the same cause, which doesn't really involve us mere mortals at the bottom.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's a, that's a good summation of it. I mean, I would it, the, the, I would say that the, the Go- global public private partnership is the operating system for stakeholder capitalism.
1: Right. Okay, right, I got you. And if we zoom out just a little bit, just for those who are trying to wrap their head around this, obviously for this this is a new concept for many. There's obviously a pyramid of sorts. Now, I would recommend uh, those who are watching to please go to Ian's website. Um, I'll, I'll link everything under the video um, later on. But there's a, a graph that you that you've developed would you mind just explaining that graph
0: yeah so i i was looking very much at how policy is um how it flows how policy flows around the planet so i mean it's not everything i mean obviously like lo- government makes policy on specific issues but when we're talking about the really big what we might call global agendas. So things like sustainable development um, and international banking reform and things like that. That that starts usually at a global level with a dialogue between the think tanks. So we've got the global globalist think tanks at the near the top um, and they're in dialogue usually with the financial authorities. So it starts with the financial authorities, and i would suggest that the, the ultimate financial authority on earth is the bank of for international settlements then you've got the central banks who who obviously you know they they bank at the bank of international bank for international settlements and they're in constant sort of dialogue with the think tanks and this this these conversations take years i mean this is one of the things i think that we need to understand about the global public private partnership they think in terms of decades and in terms of, of centuries perhaps you know so they so they are they discuss the policy they decide on what the policy agenda is but they're not legislating they're not they're not passing hard and fast policies they're not you know decreeing that south africa does this or the uk does that they they are just setting a policy framework, a policy agenda. From that point, it goes down to other organisations, which we might call the policy distributors. So, uh, you know, a, a good example would be the IMF. So the IMF, they they offer relief money, they offer aid money in exchange for policy commitments. So at that point, it, even then, that's not that's still not legislation. It's still not hard and fast law but they're asking for policy commitments from countries in in return for investment then we get down to the government level and it's at the government level where the policy agendas the ideas that have been that have come from think tanks like the council on foreign relations and people like that and the and the royal institute of international affairs that then gets converted into policy and legislation which affects us directly on our doorsteps so it's it's through the lens of government that global agendas in terms of in terms of what the the global public private partnership are pursuing gets converted into um hard and fast policy and legislation which then gets so the government then enforces that upon us so I think a a very good example is sustainable development. We've got we've got the Club of Rome talking about about the need to 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 move us towards a new economic model in order to save the planet. They they're arguing way back in the night in late 60s 1970s. That gets converted through intergovernmental organisations who I would put as kind of the policy distributors into a more formal agenda, like Agenda 21, and then on to things like sustainable development goals. And then in the UK, that gets converted into far, hard and fast policy. So in the UK, we've got net zero policy, and then we've got all the laws and everything that are coming out to enforce net zero policy. So so something that started in the at the globalist level you know, half a century ago is now a hard and fast policy that we are all subject to. And we so, are all subject to it.
1: Yeah, so I've got your, your diagram in front of me and the hierarchy looked something like this. So right at the very top, you've got the policymakers, as you are now talking about. And policy policymakers could be, for example, the Bank of International Settlements as well as central banks. Uh, so they, they're right there at the top. Um, and then, just underneath them, you've got the World Economic Forum, Club of Rome, Chatham House, Rockefeller Foundation, and so on. So they now would, they would now make policy suggestions, um, and they can't enforce it. But global governments seem to adopt those policies in in many ways. Not so. <clears throat>
0: They don't enforce it. They, choo- they choose not to go down the route of, of stipulating legislation. And I think there's a reason for that is because then you can't point a finger of responsibility at them. Right. But, what, but, they, but they do enforce it in the sense that if you think about the, the Bank of International Settlement, and, and you said to me earlier that you had uh, John Titus on previously, mm. um, the, the, the banks are able to control money. So that the bank, the bank for International Settlement and the central banks control money. They, they create it out of thin air. It's what Professor Richard Werner called fairy dust. Um, and so if you've got con- that kind of level of. Authority, which you get from the being the only people on Earth that can create money from nothing, mm. then, you know, then obviously that's that's pretty powerful so, although governments aren't, well, hitherto I should say governments weren't compelled to follow policy, but obviously now we're in a situation of going direct. I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with that from Catherine Austin Fitz and yep. John Titus. So now we are in a situation where they are directly controlling fiscal policy. So if they're if they're they're basically controlling what governments what public spending. So that is that is that is taxation without representation that's that's the democracy deal breaker really because you know we elect we elect our politicians and we expect them to be to be deciding how the public purse is distributed mm. but they're not they're not deciding it anymore now, But don't now central banks are
1: but aren't governments in some way obliged actually to follow through with some of these policy decisions. For example, the United Nations has member States who sign pledges to listen to their policy um, proposals.
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah. There are treaties, there are international Mm. treaties and things like that, which are binding. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, you've got, um, uh, you know, I mean, for, for, for one uh, example, um there's I can't remember the name of the treaty, but there's the treaty that protects Antarctica. So this is this this is an international treaty which countries across all across the world have have agreed to, they abide by, and they're going to protect the environment of Antarctica. They're not going to exploit it. But the problem with things like those in international law and and so forth, is that it doesn't mean anything. It it doesn't mean anything Mm. to the global public private partnership. They are are currently pursuing the the hoovering up of all resources on Earth. And they are focused on um, something called the global commons. Now, the global commons are all the things on Earth that all human life relies upon, but no one owns. So things like forests and, and water sources and the oceans and the sky, those those things that we rule life relies upon. Now, they are hoovering them up, and that includes Antarctica. Antarctica is part of the global commons. So there may be a treaty in place to stop, allegedly, the exportation of resources in Antarctica. I mean, there's, you know, untold amounts of mineral wealth there. But when push comes to shove none of that matters because mm-hmm. they because they, they they create the law they break the law you know so it's it doesn't it doesn't really matter to them that, that, that there are these that there are these important foundational things in place it doesn't matter
1: and then underneath the policymakers uh you've got the policy distributors and they one tier below the top tier and some of those Policy distributors would be the United Nations, IMF, IPCC, who handle our climate change um, propaganda, <laughs> with the World Bank, WHO, who are very much in the driving seat right now. Um, Philanthropists—I'm guessing uh, you would include Gates and Clinton foundations there, and Soros. Yeah, um, no, the, the the foundations.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, so they—they they are essentially think tanks.
0: I mean, I think that it's it's fluid. I mean, I think you know people take different roles at different times. I mean, uh, one of the things that you might think is that you know Bill Gates, for example, um, you know he's been at the on the world stage at the you know obviously he's got a financial controlling interest in the World Health Organization, but you know he's been on the world stage talking at talking at uh, World Health Organization's summits and so forth, but he's also been whispering in the ears of of prime ministers and and presidents and you know so he's been on a bit of a kind of world tour um i mean he's met with our prime minister boris johnson i think he's met him four times now five times in private um and they're happy to say that you know he's met the prime minister in private um but they there's no minutes i mean we we don't know what they took what they spoke mm-hmm. about they won't tell us because we don't need to know so so in that sense, we do know, actually, from the comments of uh, the uh, Boris Johnson's former advisor, Dominic Cummins, we do know what those those conversations entailed. We don't know the content, but we know what they entailed because he, he spoke about it. And he basically said, you know, we, we got the idea from the Gates, the Gates people. He called them the Gates people. So the Gates people would basically tell us what the... Um, policy was gonna be and we would we would go along with what the Gates people said. Sure. So so I mean no one elected Dominic Cummings but no one no one's certainly elected Bill Gates to to mm. come and tell the UK Prime Minister what the policy will be, but he did. So you know that's I would argue that's policy enforcement. But I also think in Gates' case, you know, he's been so involved in Uh, Obviously, you know, the funding of things that, you know, Gavi and so forth, the the COVAX and all that kind of stuff that, that, you know, he's part also, I would say, privy to the policy kind of creation agenda as well. So I don't think it's like, you know, these people. Only do this, and these people only sure. do that, and it can never change, you know. And it, I think it's, it's a fluid, uh, but, but broadly, what I'm trying to illustrate and what I'm trying to explain with the analogy of the global public private partnership is this is how policy forms, and this is how it flows from a central, central global
1: yeah.
0: authority down to us.
1: Here's what's quite scary, and uh, correct me if I've got this wrong, but we're dealing with the top two tiers of the hierarchy so far, and it's all private. We haven't even touched on governments yet.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I, th- I think if you, if you look at who, who has got the upper hand in the relationship, so government are always saying about, um, I, don't, I don't know whether how often the South African governments say it, but our governments say all the time that they are working with their industry partners. So, we're, work, we're working with our industry partners, or we're, work, we're working in partnership with. Well, a partnership, you know, there's a, there's a power play in a partnership. There's, in any partnership, there's always a power play. And if you look at the, the, the uh, you know, public-private partnerships that have happened in the UK, certainly, and in America and in South Africa and elsewhere, the private sector definitely has the upper hand Mm. it's the private sector that's driving those partnerships and what they do i mean when when we're talking about i mean it's it's a it's a free-for-all for for the private sector i mean we only need to we only need to look at um what they call public finance initiatives in the in the uk for the building of hospitals so so the the partnership this is I mean it's ridiculous when we think about it, but this is the way that it was sold to us. this partnership between the government and and the private sector is that they would instead of having to tax us because the idea was that oh well, we don't have to raise your taxes to pay for for example, a new hospital because the private part, the private investors are going to pay for it. Well, those private investors, I don't know, you know, a hospital, say a fairly large hospital in the UK might cost, you know, 40 billion or 50 billion to build or or whatever. Not that much. It'd be more millions, but 50 million or 60 million or whatever, 100 million to build. They then, the private investment money then builds the hospital and goes, there you go, we built your hospital. Thank you very much. Now we're going to lease it to you. So they invest the money, it costs them, you know, how many millions to build the hospital, and then they lease it back to the government. And the government then pays them back however much they want. And, you know, things that, ridiculous situation where a hospital that costs 40, 50 million to build, you pay back 300 million. So, so that's, and that's coming out of the taxpayers' purse. That's, that's tax, taxpayers' money. So basically, it's theft. is yeah. is a It's 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 theft. It's yeah. it's, it's ro- robbing the public purse. But 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 now they want to do it on a global scale. They want to they want to step up that kind of, I would say, criminal activity. It's usury hmm. at the at the very at the very least, and do it on do it across the planet. That's that's what they're doing. That, that is what's happening.
1: Um, another example might be, let's say, Pfizer uh, rolling out COVID vaccines um, for free, but actually the taxpayers are going to be footing that bill in the coming years.
0: Yeah, I mean, Pfizer made Pfizer aren't doing it for free. Pfizer are charging for it. I mean, Pfizer made, I think, in the first quarter after the vaccines rolled out, they made an additional profit of $19 billion. So they're not, they're not doing it for free. AstraZeneca, AstraZeneca have made a big thing about doing it for free. I'm not saying, well, you know, we're, we're giving it away for, for nothing. Look at us, are we magnanimous? But in places like Africa, in, in the lots of, well, you know, a lot of the, and the, this is very much, I would say that they are targeting, um, the, the global south. They are, they're, they're targeting that for initially for, for as, a, as a piggy bank. AstraZeneca had an agreement with, uh, I don't know, I, it was quite a few governments that they, they they had this agreement. Whereas if they gave the first batch of vaccines free, they would then be involved through Gavi um, in these developing markets. They would give these vaccines for free, but then they would be tied in as the vaccine manufacturer. So then AstraZeneca then get that whole market, and it's not free now it's only free to start with, then it's not free, and they tie up the whole market for themselves.
1: they will always get their money
0: yeah yeah it's, it's, they will always get their money and the, but the, but this is it's not just about money it's about control control it's about, mm. yeah it's about it's about socio economic and political control.
1: Going back to your hierarchy, so at the top you had policy makers, which we chatted about. Then you had the policy distributors, which we chatted about. And now we are three tiers down, and we're on the policy enforcers, and that is now where we get the the governments coming in, um, as well as uh, organizations like the CDC and the FDA.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I mean, they're not – their role is their role is you know policy enforcement you know officially that's their that's their role as well but that that you, i would say that on as as i was saying earlier on the large global agendas um, you know i mean i'm not suggesting for one moment that, that the government never make policy about anything i mean if there's a if there's a, a, a new a new uh, infrastructure project or whatever or there's a there's a change to regulations then obviously governments make policy on lots and lots of different things but on the big global issues for example in the uk we we're committed to net zero it it doesn't matter who you vote for we're committed to net zero because it's not coming from the government it's coming from yeah so so we you you'll you can vote for whoever you like you can't get rid of net zero mm-hmm. because net zero is not a government policy. You can't get rid of
1: lo- yeah. You can't get rid of lockdowns either.
0: You can't get rid of lockdowns. It doesn't matter who you vote for. You won't get rid of them because it's not a government policy. It's a it's a they're enforcing it, but the it's not there. It's not there. They didn't devise it, and that's that's how you get coordination globally. Mm and I, and it's it's a very it always it, it always confuses me how people can't see that i mean when you've got the same policies in south africa and australia and the uk and germany and the us it, the whole world they've all got the no. same policies it's just coincidence it's, not, it's just coincidence yeah <laughs> it's just just one of those things you know it's just it just it just happens it just happens like that
1: Ian, you've spoken about the difference between glo- global government and global governance, and there is yeah. a difference here, and, and I think it's very easy for people to, to get this wrong. What do you mean by those two things?
0: Well, global governance is, as I said, setting the agenda. It, global governance is not about setting hard and fast rules and legislation. No, I'll rephrase that. It's not about setting law and 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 policy in a rigid, stamped-down kind of way. It is about disseminating trajectories policy. So you, you're you're giving a trajectory of where where you want the policy to go. And I would say that within that, probably you know, certainly in the UK, there's some difference about our approach to. So how we're going to achieve um, SDG goals, and there's some difference in France, and there's you know there's difference in, in South Africa and everywhere. There's, there are differences, but the trajectory is governance. This this is where we're going. So that's what you will do, and and you know how you how you um, try to do that within within certain parameters is that is down to the nation state. But this is what we're doing. So everyone's on board and that's where we're heading. And that's that's governance rather than government. It's not you know the, and the and the advantages also, as I said earlier, to that approach is that it's like trying to to say, right, well, this group is responsible for this or this group is responsible for that. It's like trying to nail the blancmange to a wall, because there's nothing. There's nothing to get hold of in terms of well, in, in terms of responsibility for that decision making, it's all some kind of nebulous, nebulous discussion. I, I mean, and people sort of think that the UN. You look at the UN and think, oh, well, they have just, you know, they've had a bit of a chat about things and they've decided that the, this is what the world's going to do. That you know, it's all about dialogue and it's all about you know, responding to problems. But it isn't. It's about. It's about uh, a, a predetermined narrative that will be sold globally.
1: You speak about something called, uh, what is the term? West, Westphalian. West, is that right? Westphalian national yeah, sovereignty. Westphalian,
0: yeah.
1: yeah. And you say that it is a problem for the global public private partnership. Why is that? And what is Westphalian national sovereignty?
0: Well, the Treaty of Westphalia was kind of the, the the establishment, I suppose, of what we might call the modern nation state, this idea. I mean, you know, prior to that, we had principalities and we had people of, you know, most people didn't consider themselves necessarily to be, you know, South African or necessarily to be even, you know, well, slightly different in England because England's old. But, you know, people didn't consider themselves to be a nas- national identity. They might have a an identity closer to their local area you know or they might have a, 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 a an identity of their of their tribe or an identity of that kind of thing the treaty of westphalia kind of created the modern political map you know where this is france this is germany this is you know that that kind of thing so nation states can't pass laws in another nation state mm. So the UK can't pass laws in South Africa, South Africa can't pass laws in the UK. So that's a problem if you want everybody singing off the same hymn sheet. You know, if you want if you want essentially the same thing to happen in England as in the UK as happens in South Africa, but you can't they can't pass legislation between each other. How are you going to control that? And that's the advantage of governance. Because you're not you're not saying you have to do these policies and you have to do these policies. You're just saying this is the agreed problem and this is the agreed solution. Get on with it.
1: And they always make it sound noble. Uh, we need to save planet Earth. We need to save the future generations.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, that, because that's, they're selling it, aren't they? They're, they're selling the idea. Uh, you know, if they, if they were going to come out with, I mean, if you look at, say, for example, net zero, so without selling the idea, so you don't sell the idea. So, right, you will have you will have won't have any independent transport. You won't have mm. cars. You won't have vans. You won't have anything like that. Um, and you'll you won't have happy. any. Yeah. Yeah. You won't. Yeah. You won't have any heating. Yeah. I mean, that. you, you won't have any heating in your house, any central gas heating. Um, everything will be much more expensive. Uh, fuel will be ridiculously expensive. Uh, all we will control all resources. We will control all food supplies. We will control everything. What do you think? Now, people are just obviously, <laughs> people are just going to go, no, well, no, we're not doing that. But mm. so you need to be sold the idea. You need to be sold the idea. So the, so then you know going all the way back to, to the Club of Rome. They decide that, that that coming up for an idea to unite all humanity. We decided that things like global warming would be a good idea, which is which they wrote in the nineteen seventies, nineteen nineties. We tell everyone that they're that they're going to die unless they do what we say. Then we give them the solution, which is in this case net zero. So so net zero is what we want, but in order to get them there, we're going to lie to them. And then we're going accept, then then they'll accept the policy. Then when we then we when they eventually get it, they'll think, "Oh God, thanks for saving us." That's that's basically. I mean, that's the Westphalian, that's the, the, the sort of Hegelian dialectic kind of approach to the to the how how we are sold these these crazy ideas.
1: Uh, before I continue, um, I don't know if you can hear, but I I'm experiencing a thunderstorm at the moment. Um, and if it's not coming through, that's good. But I just want to point out that if there's a break in transmission, we'll just get ourselves back. Uh, but hopefully, okay. hopefully, yeah. hopefully, we won't be disconnected. Um, why, Ian, why are these global power structures pushing for all this? Is it really just about control?
0: Um, Yeah, I mean, I think you can go back in history a long, long way and just, you know, I mean, it's it's all tyrants have been the same, haven't they? I mean, I mean, what you're asking me is why? Why are there tyrants? Why are there tyrants? You know, I mean, is it a lust for power? Is it is it a a sense of superiority? You know, is it is it fear? You know, are they frightened of us? I mean, who, know, who knows why a tyrant... I mean, there's lots of people that talk about, you know, that there's, there's a strong strain of sociopathy and, 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 you know, these people are basically psychopaths and so on. I mean, I don't think it... Now, I think there is an element to that in terms of them seeing humanity as lesser, that they, they see themselves as a breed apart. I mean, you can go all the way back to the you know like the Phoenicians and the Venetians and the uh, the creation of the banking systems and see that there is a, a what a lot of people refer to as the dark nobility, that are black nobility that are um are, are there's a there's a there's a lineage there but then you get new money, you get modern people you know like for example the gates and and the Rockefellers and people like that 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 come into it. So, to what extent they share that that sort of historical passion? But one, one, I mean, one thing that I would I would suggest that unites them is eugenics. I, I think that they they genuinely there are there is a if certainly if you look at sustainable development, there is a in almost everything there is a very strong thread of eugenics. So,
1: you know, I suppose what I was asking is. Is this group of global elites emergent, or is it more by design?
0: Isn't it? I think we've always—they've always been here. They've always been here. These are these are the the you know the rulers of, of Mesopotamia. They are they are the the rulers. They're rulers. I mean, and this is what rulers do. I mean, what's the point of being a ruler if it isn't to rule? So. You know, it's just that it's in the same way that that we are that's, you know, we are artists, we are we are writers, we are we are podcasts, we're, you know, we we all have our function and we're all kind of and how we come up to these things, you know, change. But I mean, basically, over the thousands and thousands of years, we've always had tyrants because we've always subjected ourselves to. This silly, I would say, belief in something called authority—we—it's it's a human condition to believe that somebody else needs to tell us what to do; otherwise, we won't be able to do anything. Yeah. I, don't, I, I don't understand it, but but that can only lead to tyrants. That's that's where the, that's the only place that can lead, in this, and that's what we've always had.
1: In this hierarchy, uh, we've got like say we've got the central banks and the bank of international settlement i think his name is uh, augustin carstens who's very high up um are there people higher than that
0: it's very hard to say i mean there's a lot of people and I'm, i'm this is not something that i've researched in any great depth There is a lot of people that talk about something called the black nobility then there's if you go back a bit further there's you know the the um uh, committee of 300 and all this kind of stuff um, and it may be true it may not I don't I don't know And I, you know I mean people that have researched it a lot more thoroughly than I have would be better place to talk about that than I am um, but from my perspective although it would be fascinating to find out about that that would be that would be very interesting it doesn't really matter that I, I don't think because because we can see the people that are that are pushing the agenda, for example, the the the, the thing that I call the pseudo pandemic, what we're what we're experiencing at the moment, we we know who they are. We don't need to think, oh, is someone pulling their strings? I think we should ju- we should just start with what's in front of our face. If subsequently it emerges that there's there's more, there are more people behind the machine, then fine. But we need to start with this first. We haven't even Most people still think that they elect a leader who will, you know, who will shape policy um, and who, who, if they don't like them, they can get rid of them and put in a new policy. People still fundamentally believe that all over the world. And until they understand that there are some aspects of policy that they just cannot affect, they can't change it because they're not it's got nothing to do with democratic accountability it's, it's it's completely divorced from it because it's being it's a system that is being operated ostensibly by tyrants who aren't interested in what we think they're yeah. only interested in what we do and they want to control that so you know we, we need to start with what is in front of us first before we start thinking about You know things like the black nobility and so forth
1: is democracy dead
0: it is if we don't do something it's finished
1: and what must we do
0: um i think we need to look to each other and we need to look to the local community around us and we need to start acting autonomously because we at the moment are reliant for so much on you know to the infrastructure that is around us and that infrastructure is put in by government. So government have got control of that infrastructure and therefore got control of us. And when you think that government are partners or, you know, partners in this global private public partnership, then they have control of us because we rely upon them. So the first thing we need to do, and that's something that I know that far more people do in South Africa than do in my country, is be independent of that, to to be to be able to, to look after yourself to be able to care for yourself and the people that you love and to be able to care for your community that I'll, that is, is what you need to, we need to be focusing on
1: I'm laughing because uh, the reason why this um, more independent or self-reliant attitudes in South Africa is because we have a failed state <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: Yeah, exactly. So you know, necessity is the mother of invention, isn't it?
1: Yes. And we're, um, but
0: we need we we all need to be doing that because we we are going to have a failed state very very soon. Everyone is.
1: Uh, so I mean, Ian. So I, I look at all this information that you've got, and it really is phenomenal. What do you do with it, though?
0: What well, me personally, or us, or us generally?
1: You and, of course, us generally both.
0: Um. You know, I mean, my my objective is just to try and get people to think about things and question authority. Really, I mean, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm not. I'm not going around. Oh well, I, I, listen to me. I know everything. Mm. I don't. I know. I only know what I know. And there's loads more. You know, most things I don't know. There's a vast amount of, of knowledge out there that I haven't got a clue about. So, I'm all. All I am suggesting is that people should familiarize themselves with the way things actually work not not with the fantasy that they are given by the media and by the politicians and but because it's it is a fantasy it is a fantasy they need to understand and i and i totally understand that most people don't have the time and are living living busy lives and they don't have the time to perhaps go into the stuff in the in the depth that perhaps you and I have more time to do. I understand that, but at least ask questions. I mean one of the things that has been so disheartening during this, I mean we I mean we were talking earlier about the the um, you know the fact that the, we've got this new what are they calling it a super mutant variant now. I mean it super mutant. I mean it's ridiculous. I mean it sounds like it was written by marvel it's it's, it's preposterous i mean but the but people just just go along with it i mean and, and a, a, a rudimentary sense of disbelief is what we need to develop we need to stop accepting everything we're told just because someone is in authority it's worth remembering that those people in authority are human beings with the genders. So you need to know who they are, what their agenda is, what they represent, and don't accept what they say simply because mm. they're on the television with a suit on. Yeah. That's not good enough. But there the, needs to be evidence.
1: But the elephant in the room is that it seems like we are surrounded by people who are asleep.
0: Yeah, and I mean that's pro- probably why you and I are doing this, isn't it? Because because we want them to to not be. Because until you're not, you you know, I mean, I mean, I was. I'm. It's only recently that I've been comfortable about talking about things like people being asleep or an awakening, because to me that sounds extremely arrogant. You know, it's like it's like we're saying. Oh, we know something you don't, you know, it's it's not about that. It's just about. I think it's probably a different mindset. I mean, the more the more people that I talk to that are aware of the deception that we are we are being we are embroiled in at the moment, the more I see a kind of common attitude and that and that is just simply healthy scepticism. It's just healthy scepticism of and somehow, many of our fellow, fellow, you know, our compatriots have just given up that scepticism. And I don't know why, I don't know why, but it just seems that they don't question anything. They could literally be told anything and, and go along with it. I mean, some of the things we, are, we have been told, like the super mutant variant that we've just been talking about, A laugh out loud funny i mean they're ridiculous i mean it's it's comical there's no science behind any of this it's all made up (laughs) it's it's made up nonsense but we don't question it or or, you know millions of us don't question it
1: why don't we question it
0: uh i mean it's so difficult to say, isn't it? I mean, no, no we're all individuals. We're all different. Not I know, can, I know, but you, I'm asking you know, for your opinion. Right, well, we're born, when we're born, we are told from the very, very, from the cradle, we are told about authority, aren't we? We are told to expect, respect our parents, respect authority, do what you're told. We are, that is inculcated into us from the moment that, we, that we're wrapped in swaddling clothes. So... We have we we're, we're kind of bred we're kind of bred to obey authority. Now, when you're a child, that's a very important thing to do because if your mum or dad say stop, you've got to stop because you might get run over by a bus, otherwise, or whatever. So that's important. But when we become adults, there needs to be a transition away from that mindset. We need to we need to transition away from from simply obeying authority to to uh, taking individual responsibility for our actions in all things.
1: Norman makes an interesting comment here. Um, he He's basically saying that this has been a long game. Um, and so because the game is so long, you don't really notice the changes along the way.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the boiling frog analogy is a good analogy. I mean, you you, you just you know the frog sits in there, you gradually mm-hmm. turn the temperature up, and it boils to death. And that's what I mean. I think I think being having an interest in history helps in, in terms of in terms of a perspective because you know history doesn't necessarily repeat itself, but it does have patterns. You know, and uh, and you can and you can a historical perspective can give you some sort of insight into into the same thing happening again so you know i mean i think i think there are lots of ma- there are many different aspects and there are many there are many different ways that we can come to question authority but that is the fundamental thing that that we need to do as a species and i mean i mean as a species we need to do that we need we need to be less trusting Of authority figures and that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that we have to disbelieve what we're told I'm not suggesting that we have to disbelieve everything but we you know if you see a piece of information or somebody tells you something go to the sort of basic fundamental principles what is the evidence to back up what they are saying Mm. I mean with the super super mutant variant the evidence is non-existent it's it's just you know it's just it's just made up but it's so hard for people to believe that because you know the prime minister or the or in our, in our case the health secretary mm. is standing in the houses of parliament speaking authoritatively about the super mutant variant and that's enough for most yeah. people because they cannot believe that in this case he would would lie like that. They can't believe it.
1: And they, yet and yet they have a history of lying.
0: Yeah, and yet and yet, you know, who doesn't I mean this is the this is the weird, isn't it? This is the juxtaposition that's so strange. Who do you not know? Who who do you know that doesn't think politicians are corrupt? <laughs> <laughs> Everybody thinks politicians are corrupt. And yet we still believe what they say. Even though most people don't believe, You know, normally wouldn't trust them.
1: Is humanity on a cliff edge?
0: We are in a big, this is it. We are in a big existential fight for survival. So, I mean, I don't know whether you, but and going back to something else I was saying earlier, the people that we're up against aren't thinking that they're going to win this next week. They've got a long-term strategic plan. Now, I don't know why. I've discussed it in my book, um, why I suspect they may have acted when they did. Because if you look at the coronavirus story, it's not actually that good. There are There are so many holes in it you kind of think, it's almost as if they went off a bit half-faked. Like, oh, we've got to do this now. And I think if you look at the collapse of the international monetary and financial system that was clearly started with the collapse of the repo market in America, then I think there's an element of, we've got to go now. You know, this is the time now, otherwise we're not going to be able to recover this. That is speculation. But I mean, that's the only thing that I look at where I think, because i do think that there that there are so many shortcomings in the story of the virus and of coronavirus that it's it's almost as if it it wasn't quite the, the plan wasn't quite fully formed when they went when they went there
1: but i mean the plan can't actually be that fully formed when you're dealing with so many people and so many variables
0: well i mean it, no, it's true. You know, you, you know that you have to sort of be be able to prepare for for contingencies. But that's yeah. how compartmentalised authority works. So, in com, with with a compartmentalised authoritarian structure like the g the global public private partnership, not everyone knows what's going on. I mean, there you know there are probably there are plenty. I mean, if we look at our our backbench MPs in the UK, I mean, it seems to me that most of them believe it everything. I mean they, they believe what they're told and they like like the the rest of the population. Mm. They're not they're not privy to any kind of any kind of skullduggery. But those at the top are manipulating the situation. So and in and in that and in that moment they are able to, you know, control agendas of what people are working towards, but the people that are doing it don't necessarily know that they're being moving towards a controlled agenda. They think they're just responding to a a, 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 an international crisis.
1: In front of you, Ian, there is a crystal ball. What do you what do you see?
0: I think we've got every reason to be hopeful at this at this point, because I I think one of the things that I found most encouraging is the fact that there are lots of people who are. Double vaccinated who are suddenly realizing that they're now on a treadmill that you know now they're now in the UK and in, in America and everything, they're talking about the booster shot. So the 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 num the number of people in who have who have questioned this from the start, that have been that have been sort of kind of skeptical about the whole narrative from the start, is I would say, you know, a relatively small part of the population. But there is a lot more people who are who who probably took the vaccine just because they wanted to go on holiday, or they wanted to see their friends, or they wanted to travel. Who I think were aware of the of the um, people that were questioning it more more vociferously, but thought, nah, I I'll ju- I'll just want to go I just want to go on holiday, so I'll take the vaccine. But now they're saying no. Only only a few months later, they're saying no. Now you need a booster. And now they've come up with this idea of the super mutant variant which is the reason why you need your booster that group of people who outnumber us by orders of magnitude if they decide that no we're not going along with this anymore then we're going to be talking you know 20 30 percent maybe more of the population when we get to that level then it i would suggest that you know it's going to be very 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 difficult for them to enforce their will if it comes to military confrontation not military but if it comes to confrontation with physical confrontation with the with the authorities when you've got a population of that sort of size who are opposed to what is happening if they're being peaceable and they're being they're being reasonable in their arguments There are going to be many, many people in law enforcement who are are going to agree with them and the military and and the civil service. And so when it's not a fait accompli that they're just going to be able to order them, the the, you know, what we consider probably, you know, the security services and so forth to 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 suppress us ruthlessly, there are going to be lots of people within that that don't agree and they're going to have I think everyone is going to be faced with a question of conscience. Everyone. Some people it won't matter because they just think that we're all, you know, scum-sucking anarchists and probably deserve to die. But they're a tiny, tiny, tiny minority. Most human beings are good. Most human beings are reasonable. We might have a, we might have a broad swathe of opinions, but but we're not bad. We we have been especially with, with the you know, sustainable development, we have been kind of trained to think that we're bad. You know, we, we can't do anything, we can't function. We have to rely on the government, to sort everything out for us. We can't treat each other with respect. We're all, we're all useless eaters that are going around using up resources and, and destroying the planet in the process. We're basically a parasite. And that, that gets internalised. We start to believe it, and it is not true it is not true people are good people are kind people aren't creative you know we're, we're not each other's enemy we are we are in this together and when we realize that then it then then there is every reason to hope that we can we can fend off what is happening
1: you said in this together and let's just segue from there where can people uh find more of your work
0: yeah, no, that's the name of my website as well. Yeah, it's, it's in this together. It's dashes between the word. It's it's in dash this together dot com. Um, yeah, and that's where I write. I also write for um, somebody else that I highly recommend that people check out. is the, the UK column in the UK. They have been absolutely brilliant throughout the, the whole thing. I mean, they've got a fantastic team there that have been working really hard to try and try and bring the evidence to the public. Um, I write for them as well, occasionally. Um, and then there's um, uh, my U- my Odyssey channel, um, which Ooh, is in this together.
1: Good, good man. You said Odyssey. Well done.
0: Yeah, my, my Odyssey channel. I, I, ha- I am ashamed to admit that I have a YouTube channel, but I'm doing everything <laughs> I can to get banned. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a few strikes. I just the thing is i don't even, i can't even be bothered to load anything to youtube but i'm just going to load some stuff up just so that i can get banned i think <laughs> um and then um yeah so check me out and, and I've, I've recently written a book um yes. which, the P, which the pdf and the um EPUB version are free on my website you don't have to pay for it just just sign up to my newsletter and i'll send you a copy so Um, And then, if obviously, if you want a a hardback, then that is available through the website as well. But, and and everything I do, um, the the EPUB version and the electric version and and everything, all my writing is all Creative Commons. It's all free, just take it, use it, PDF. I've started recently doing a PDF of all my posts, underneath the posts. I've only done a few, but print them off, share them out, do whatever. But we need to we need to get all the information out to people, and we need to start showing them that you know we've got to stand up to this because otherwise you know it, it is the end of, of the the way of life our way of life as we understand it.
1: Ian Davis, thank you for joining me in the trenches.
0: That's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me.
1: Don't go anywhere. My name is Jim. This is Jim <laughs> Murphy a battle of ideas if you enjoyed this podcast please visit supportgerm.com